I didn't know better, I would think y'all believe in an evening light, a bride time. A, we certainly do, don't we? <clears throat> morning light is a wonderful thing. I appreciate morning light. We need it. Midday light is a wonderful thing. But there's something about the evening light. Amen. The evening light means that there's a dawn of another day just real, real close. The setting of the sun, changing of a dispensation, going into another time. I believe that's where we are, don't you? Hammy's happy to be in the house of the Lord today. Such a privilege for us. My heart so goes out to these different uh, saints in different parts of the world that's not been able to have, have church since all this COVID thing. We've certainly had certain days when we couldn't have it, but nothing the way a lot of churches have been through and so makes us appreciate the opportunity that we can come together does it not different people in india africa uh, lots of places like that we've had to buy uh, thermometer guns and things like that in different churches in africa to for them to be able to even have church because their government wouldn't let them have a church and assemble if they didn't have a temperature gun where they could record everybody's temperatures they come and go some of them, even with that, they can't have it. So I think we ought to take advantage of every, every opportunity that we have. Not only just be here, but be here with all of our hearts. Amen. Amen. Let's uh, read together today Genesis chapter 24, verse 13. If you don't mind standing with me, we'd like to read verses um, 13 through 19. A little bit longer than normal, but... Behold, I stand here by the well of water, and the daughters of men of the city come out to draw water. And let it come to pass the damsel to whom I shall say, Let down thy pitcher, I pray thee, that I may drink, and she shall say. So here's an identification of who's the bride for Isaac. And it all has to do with what the messenger says Versus what she says. So he doesn't say one thing and then she says something else. And he says one thing and she gives her opinion of what he has to say. Uh, but she actually says what he says. Let the same be she that thou hast appointed for thy servant Isaac. And thereby shall I know that thou hast showed kindness unto my master. And it came to pass before he had done speaking that behold Rebekah came out. And was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, with her pitcher upon her shoulder. And the damsel was very fair to look upon a virgin, neither had any man known her. And she went down to the well and filled her pitcher and came up. 
And the servant ran to meet her and said, let me, I praise thee, drink a little water of thy pitcher. She said, I'm not sure I can trust you. Is that your opinion? Is that just a passing comment that you... Mm. And she said, drink, my Lord. And she hasted and let down her pitcher upon her hand and gave him drink. And when she had done giving him drink, she said, what? Same thing he said. I will draw water for thy camels also until they have done drinking. Wow, so the key to being the bride is being able to echo back the same voice of the Spirit of God for the age that you live in. Actually, mine and your opinion about the message is pretty irrelevant to God. God doesn't really care what you and I think. He doesn't care what universities think, what theologians said. It doesn't matter to God. What God thinks and what get God's attention is whenever we do what he told us to do. Whether or not we understand it. You see, that has nothing to do with God. It's a great person, really, that can have the ability to do that with all of their heart. How many would like to be remembered in prayer? Certainly glad to see our brother Benton with us today. God bless you, buddy. We certainly love you and missed you. Wasn't that an awesome prayer that he prayed? He already prayed for Alicia, my daughter, but I would like for us to pray for her again. She went to a different doctor this week, and doctors are like preachers. Every one of them has a different opinion. Um, so she'd been doing what the medical professionals had told her to do, but this other medical professional told her that she wasn't doing the right thing. Um, so we believe in asking God that maybe this will be the answer for her getting better and we just, just request that you would remember her in prayer, if you would. How many has a need in your heart today, a request, a desire? Let's go before the Lord, if you would. Lord Jesus, first of all, we want to say thank you. Here we are on Sunday morning. All of us aren't here because some are still sick and some are still apprehensive about coming back yet, Lord. But many, many of us are gathered together today. We want to say thank you. It's not been that long back when it was just me, the musicians, a couple of the ministers, deacons, brothers in the audio booth, video booth, streaming. We did that for weeks. Lord, we want you to know we don't take it for granted today because we're able to be together again. And then our hearts go out to our brothers and sisters in different parts of the world that still aren't able to meet together. Again, hearing this week from South Africa and how difficult it has been for them. Lord, we pray for your mercy to intervene. We ask you, Father, we know that your prophet told us that whenever the polio had so struck the human race, saints began to pray and medical science began to investigate it. He attributed you giving the Salk vaccine as your mercy. We thank you for that, Lord. Because before that, many, many people were struck with polio. But you chose, you could have sent miracles everywhere, but you chose to use a channel of medical science. For you knew that many people would never accept divine healing. You knew that many would never go to a certain church, and if they prayed for them, everybody that had polio would be healed. Some would never do it. But you love the human race so much that you allowed a man to break into that realm to understand it. Yes. 
So we pray for the scientists and all those different people, Lord, trying to help us through this time. Intervene for us, Lord Jesus. Help us, I pray. Father, we're believing you, Lord, for a complete recovery today for Alicia's voice. Father, we just ask you that you would touch her and strengthen her. Lord, it's so good to see Brother Benton with us today, Father, and other needs that was signified by the uplifting of the hand. Help us, I pray, today. You see this tremendous subject that lays before us today. I pray that you would help me to get out of the way. Help me that I won't be so excited to bring it that I'll be able to follow in the channel and the speed that the people can be able to receive. We love you, Lord. Help us, I pray, Father. We believe we're on this camel train. We don't know exactly how much longer we have, but we can't wait until we light off the back of this camel and we're able to see you in the field. We'll meet you in the middle of the air and between your home and ours and forever get to be with you, Lord Jesus. Keep us by your grace, we pray, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, saints. You may be seated. Love each of you today so much. Thank God for you. Thank God for the opportunity he's given us to be able to share his great truths. Let me speak to you for just a few minutes before we go into into this in Genesis 24 about types. Types are beautiful, wonderful. I love them. I love types, shadows. I love reflections parabolical stories, but yet we know that types don't always reflect the image in 100% trueness. A type is like a shadow for my hand. You can't see it, but I can. Here, my hand, this light above me, is making a shadow on this pulpit. By looking at this, I can see that I've got five fingers but I can't tell what color my skin is. I was out laying some stone the other day and I took a big gash of skin out of my hand here and this shadow does not show that sore in my hand. I've got another one on this hand. I put this one up, it does not show the sore on that hand. I got fox bit years ago whenever I was a kid and the shadow does not show the scar on this hand right here. I've got brown spots. They call them age spots. And I still can't figure out for the life of me for why I'm getting them. <clears throat> but the shadow does not show the brown spots on my hand. So truly, shadows are not 100% accurate. Neither are types. Now, we know in this, in this story that we've read about, it's been preached for many, many uh, thousands of years, of course, since the gospel was being preached. And even in the Old Testament, no doubt, they saw that there was some sort of spiritual identification with it, but they didn't know for sure what it was. So in looking at shadows and types, it's so easy to go off either one way or the other with that shadow. Now we know from this one here that it is taken and the Jewish uh, festive wedding ceremony actually gets part of their tradition from this type here. 
They also get part of them from Exodus, where that God would bring them out of the land of bondage. Those of you that are familiar with their cedar, as they call it, S-E-D-R, it is their communion, what we call communion or Passover. And they have four different cups of wine that they drink from. Each of them is from a part of the verse in the book of Exodus, and the last part of that is taken over into the marriage ceremony. So each of those are a type or a shadow. Now we know in this, in this story, Abraham <clears throat> is a type of the father, and it was a, a type that was going to be carried over into the Jewish heritage that it would be the father that would actually pick the bride for the son. Now, think of this, that it was an image or a shadow or a type, but Abraham, though he was a type of Father God, he was not a perfect reflection of Father God. Because when Abraham got in a real difficult spot and he was afraid for his life, Abraham lied about his sister, his wife, Sarah and said that she was his sister, and of course you know the story. Well, we know then that that broke the type, because in that type, he was not a perfect reflection. And we know with Isaac being his son, Isaac was a type of Christ whenever Abraham took him up to offer him as an offering before the Lord. He was a type there. He's also a type of what we just read. But we know that Isaac as well lied about his wife. So guess what? The type was broken. Joseph was also a type of Christ, sold for 20 pieces of silver money, but he also wanted his father to tell something that was not true. And he said, because a shepherd was an abomination to the Egyptians, and he wanted them to, you know, just hide it a little bit and, and not be honest with them. So the type was broken in Joseph. Now, here we see that Rebecca is also a type of the bride. We believe that. But remember that Rebecca also, some years later, now in her youth, we don't have anything against her really, but some years later, she, because being told by God that she had two nations in her womb and that the younger would rule the elder, she had this revelation revealed to her by God, and she actually taught her son Jacob how to deceive his prophet father. And again, we see a flaw in Isaac in that Isaac loved the wrong child, Esau, and preferred the wrong child. So notice then in types when we look at them, they are not a perfect reflection of the real thing. So Abraham had a flaw, Isaac had a flaw, Rebekah had a flaw. Now looking at this story, so what we see is that the servant Eliezer was sent and he again is a type but it is only a type in that the bride that has been called down through the gospel dispensations was not called by only one man. Now, if we would take the story of Eliezer and we would take it literally, then there would have to be one man from the dispensation of the gospel of grace 2,000 years ago, and that one man would have to live for 2,000 years in order to reach the bride in every age. Oh, I'm sorry y'all didn't know that. 
Well, you see, that's why we have to be so careful with types. So what is it? So the one man typified not only the prophet messenger of our age, but he typified the Holy Ghost, the Holy Ghost messenger, every God-called man that would have the truth. Why? Because it is a type. Now, notice again then the gifts that were given by Eliezer to Rebekah were also types. If not, then every messenger would have to give the bride of their day silver and gold and clothes and also an earring. Now, we know whenever this story is written, now I hope this don't stumble you, but actually it was still a time of great darkness and understanding about God. Now, earrings were allowed in this time. Because it was a time of great darkness. Now remember, Abraham had been a heathen not long ago. As a matter of fact, he worked in his father's shop and there they made and sold idol gods. So Eliezer brought to her a gift that was allowed in that day. But let me remind you, for some of you sisters, I would like to go back to wearing earrings because Rebecca wore one. Before you would accept that and think that's the proper way, let me also remind you that polygamy was also accepted during this time frame. So if you sisters would like to wear earrings, maybe you can go ahead and tell your husband he can have another wife or as many as he would desire. Also, concubines were also allowed during this time frame, which means that a man slept with a woman simply to get a child out of her, and it was perfectly acceptable. Dear Lord, what happened? Well, praise the Lord. But you see, Eliezer was not a prophet. No Holy Ghost feel God prophet would ever tell his people it's okay to wear earrings. Now earrings date back, the oldest one so far that they've actually found was the ice man. Now some of you are familiar with this man. Uh, the ice man, I don't remember his name, but they, they date his mummified condition back to about 5,000 years ago. And they found uh, some of the food that this man ate still in his digestive tract. Very interesting if you've never really looked at it. And they also found a hole in this man's ear where he had wore an earring. Now I've been to different parts of India, different parts of Africa, different parts of the world. And it's amazing because you look at the way that earrings came about and it was a sign of a heathen once you see earrings in the ears of people. <laughs> well, I ain't got no amens, I ain't got no grunts, I ain't got no squirming, no wiggling, everybody's scared to death even me. What's the matter with you folks? Now remember, these are types. And whenever we go to taking these types and trying to make them apply in our age, you are dreading dangerous ground. Now remember, the word of God does not come to a pastor. The word of God does not come to an evangelist or a teacher or a housewife. The word of God comes to a prophet. Is that right? Is that what your Bible says? 
Now notice then whenever these types start unfolding, this is why that it takes a prophet of God to be able to catch the word for every age and be able to bring what is allowed in the new age and acceptances that will be made. And this is why that God sent us not just a commentator in the last days. You see, we did not need another man that would come and would add another commentary to that of Phineas Dake or to John Wesley or to many of the great theologians that have lived down through time. But what we needed was a prophet that God spoke about in Malachi 4. Even the Lord Jesus spoke about him coming in Matthew 17. Is that right? Elias truly shall first come and restore all things. So we didn't just need a pastor. We didn't just need a teacher or an evangelist. We needed a prophet. And a prophet is so made that he is a divine interpreter of the written word. And he can also catch something from the mind of God, which is not even written in the scripture. Now, I know it's going to choke some of you to death. And the only reason it does is because you don't understand what a prophet is. Now, notice in this story is not going to be a true, an absolute true replica of what the bride is going to be. But there will be mirrored images in there that we will be able to pull out of that and see by the types and the shadows. And then we will pull them types and shadows, not through more shadows, but through the evening light. And then we will illuminate, hopefully, and pull that out of just a shadow. Which would you rather see? the shadow of your hand or your hand. You brothers that like to hold your wife's hand, do you want to hold the shadow or would you rather touch her skin? Those of you that love to hold your children's hand or your baby's face or whatever more, why don't you take a picture of the shadow of your baby's face and see if that does as much for you and your child as touching skin on skin. Well, this is why we needed God in this day with skin on it in order to bring a personification of the word of God to the bride where the bride will be able to touch skin with an assurance that we've not had since the foundation of the world. Now, let me go into this now about the Jewish wedding tradition. And I'm gonna read uh, several things to you today that I found this past week. And it's historical, part of these things they used to do, part of them they don't do anymore, but many of them they do. And I wanna read them, uh, some of them with you, and you can read part of them with me on the screen uh, so that you don't miss the impact of it. Now, the first part of this, which is what Eliezer was, was fixing to do, it is called the Shidukim, the Shidukim, and it's actually the match. So this part is whenever the servant or the lawyer or the friend of the bridegroom or the acting agent on the behalf of the father, he would go out and he would start looking for the match of this uh, bridegroom. And it was called in Hebrew, the Shidukim. So it was initiated by the father of the groom. Now, would you notice this, that they did not do the marriages now in the ancient times. The Hebrew father of the groom would choose the son's bride. Now, for those of you who want to go back to under the law, are you sure you want your daddy picking your wife? 
Oh, I really love my daddy, but I wouldn't want him picking my wife. But look, you no doubt love your daddy, and the rest of you love your daddy. You want to marry the woman your daddy picked out? I ain't my daddy. Well, come on now, but this is the way it went. But in this, there is part of this mirrored reflection that we can pull out of the type. And when we pull the fingers, the shadows, out of the darkness and we pull it under the light of the day, then the hand and the shadow will become one. You follow me? Now, in this Shidduchin, what we see is that the initiation of this is all set in motion by the Father himself, not the Son. So it is from the being of the Father that projected this ideology, if you wish to call it that, of a bride and a bridegroom. So it's not actually the bridegroom saying, you know what, I'm interested in girls now. I'm interested in having a girlfriend, so I'm gonna go out and find me a girlfriend. That was not the way that it worked. And it is not the way that it worked in the divine side, but it come from the Father. Now I'm talking about the parallel between the Hebrew father and father God. So in the ancient time, the Hebrew father of the groom would choose the son's bride. Now this is amazing because the son would actually honor the father's choice. Now listen, the son would actually honor the father's choice. Now I want you to notice we have no scriptural record that, that Eliezer talks with Isaac before he leaves. So it's not like that Isaac is saying, make sure she's got blonde hair. I love blonde hair. Make sure she's got blue eyes. And please, if you don't mind, make sure she don't weigh over so-and-so. And I like a tall woman, so make sure. It was not his relationship with the bride choice was not so much the groom's preference because the groom's preference was so united with the will of the father that whatever the father chose, the son accepted it as the right choice. Now, you pull that, that through the time of the evening light and we realize before the sonship of God ever existed, it was who? It was the eternal who dwelt by himself. And then he gave birth to a son, which was not a boy, but it was a pillar of fire or a light that played around the father's door. So this is what went out of the eternal and it was God giving birth to a son. Don't get in your mind a person now, a being like a boy, but it was a little light off of the big light. And when the little light come into existence, the father of lights caused him to give birth to other little lights that would live down through time. So what did Jesus, when he come to the earth, this is why it was so compulsory on his part to do the father's will and the father's bidding. So the son would honor the father's choice and the arrangement plans would begin. Now an agent was used. The son would not go himself, but there was an agent that was used and the choice of the groom. Now what is this? That the choice of the groom groom would be considered and the choice of the bride would be considered but not always so sisters along with your earrings and your makeup you have no choice of who you get to marry if you want to go back under the law 
Isn't it amazing how we want to pick and choose what we want? So necessarily the bride's choice, if the bride said, I really don't want to marry that man. Oh, but I don't love him. Actually, love had nothing to do with it. You see, the way that they looked at marriages, it was a commercial adventure in one sense of the word. So the bride's view, whether or not she loved the guy, he could weigh 585 pounds and the bride weigh 85. He could have been 75 and she could have been 20. And the bride could have absolutely, I don't want nothing to do with this. I don't want nothing to do with this. But you notice Rebecca, which is a perfect mirror of the bride, that Rebecca was actually given the choice. Amen. Will you go with this? man, I will go. So those women in the Old Testament that were not given the choice were not really the mirrored image of the bride because God knew he wanted to offer us a choice. And the only only problem was getting our old stubborn will in the way of his choice. But if God could get that nature of ours to die and we would become born again, he knew we would choose what he chose because that's what the sonship chose. You see, the sonship of God didn't not choose something else different. Even when the Lord Jesus had the cup before him, and of course this was the cup that was going to come upon the cup of receiving of the announcement. And it was this by which the Lord Jesus said, if it be thy will, Father, let this cup pass from me. It was him accepting the cup of the atonement and saying he was willing to pay the bride price. And the humanity of the Lord Jesus did not want to die. He did not want to go that way, but he said, nevertheless not my will but thine will be done. What is he? The humanity of the Lord Jesus is pulled into the sovereign will of Father God. Notice this, so Christ acted on the initiative of the eternal. Now remember, Jesus was the body. He was the boy, as Brother Bram called it, the body, the boy, the human element of God in creative form. What's this in St. John 5.30? I can of myself do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not mine own will, but the will of the Father which has sent me. Now what's the Lord? Jesus, this is the sonship now. The sonship, the humanity, the body saying, I want only the will of him that lives in me. God was in Christ reconciling the world back to himself. Now, when the Lord Jesus come upon the earth, remember now that Eliezer would type all the way down through the gospel ages. So the Lord Jesus had an agent. When he come to the earth, he had an agent. Now, let me describe this agent for you. He was not one that many people in this day would want for their agent. He was a guy that was very crude. He was very rough. The prophet said, I can see him as he walks into Herod's palace and he said, knee, mud plumb up to his knees and mud squishing between his toes. And he walked up there and pointed his finger in his face and said, it ain't right for you to have your brother's wife. His name was John the Baptist. He was clothed with camel's hair and a leathern girdle around his loins. He did not eat steak. So if you'd have went and heard John the Baptist on Sunday and you said, John would like to go eat lunch with you. Well, you wouldn't find him at Longhorn. You wouldn't find him at Carabas, but you'd found John over somewhere eating locusts and wild honey. 
He was a very crude, rough sort of a guy. He never went to preacher school. He never even had real good mannerisms about him at all. A real rough cult, a real rough cut sort of a fellow. But the Lord God chose him to be the agent for the Lord Jesus. Amen. Notice this in St. John 3, 28. Now, John the Baptist, he, he went just, just a little while before the Lord Jesus, and they are cousins in the flesh, and John came before him, and he was preparing the way before him, which was the fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 40. And they had come and said, who are you? Our, our, our great you know, popes and magistrates and bishops and so on. They, they sent us to ask you, who are you? He said, I'm the voice of one preparing, I'm crying out in the wilderness, preparing the way for the Lord. So they begin to question and say, by what authority do you do these things? Who told you you could do that? We, you've got any written permission from us? He didn't need none from them. He had spoken permission from the Father. Now he's on a mission, and that is to forerun the coming bridegroom. Praise the Lord. He is the agent for the Lord Jesus. Now the disciples of John, they hear that the Lord Jesus, many people are starting to gather to him. People's getting baptized, so they really started having a problem with this. And they come to John and they said, Master, uh, him that you pointed to, uh, all men are, are going after him. And you know, here they were, typical message people that did not understand the conveyance had changed from the messenger to the message, so they started getting real jealous of Jesus. Wow, hey, friends, don't sit there and look at me. We got folks around the message the same way. You can preach to Brother Branham every service. You can have a revival on Brother Branham and preach it every night. They'd never have a problem with it, but you mention the bride's position, they get mad as a hornet. You go to focusing on the Lord Jesus, they can't stand it. Same old spirit that was on these folks is on some of the message folks today. Now, I want you to notice how John wants to correct his disciples. He said, did not I tell you I'm not he? Don't you understand the transition between me and him? Now, watch him here in St. John 3, 28. Ye yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but that I am sent before him. He that hath the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom, which standeth and heareth him, rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This my joy is fulfilled. So the friend of the bridegroom then is the reference to the Jewish custom of the shoshbin. S-H-O-S-H-B-E-N. Shoshbin. Shosh means. So John the Baptist is identifying himself as the Shosh Bean. He is the one that has been sent forth. Now watch, so they're having this real difficult time because they see a glory change. And they see more and more people going to Jesus and they're not denying John now. They're not denying John, say, well, we don't need John no more, just throw his message in the trash can. But they realize that there has been a merging together. The elect of God would not have been able to really receive the Lord Jesus on that day if John the Baptist had not come 
come first. So he was there to turn their hearts, turn their hearts to the new coming message and he identifies himself as the Shosh beam. Notice in St. John 3.30, he must increase, but I must decrease. Now notice, where was it in the Bible? Let's give John the Baptist a little scriptural test this morning. Now, if we believe that John the Baptist was a prophet, and he believes he was, if you believe Jesus, I would like for somebody, not now, of course, while I'm preaching, but maybe later this evening or tomorrow or Tuesday, whenever you get time, I'd like for you to find for me in the scripture where the scripture said that John the Baptist was to be the friend of the bridegroom. Now, you can take my word for it, or you can study until you turn blue in the face. You aren't going to find it. The Old Testament prophecy did not say John the Baptist would be the friend of the bridegroom. But remember, this man is a prophet. So he interpreted Isaiah 40, which was written. And he also caught that which was unwritten, which identified him as being the friend of the bridegroom. Also, I'd like for you to give me scriptures on where the Old Testament said John the Baptist was supposed to baptize people. You see, there is no scripture in the prophecy that said John the Baptist was supposed to baptize. So I wonder what some of the message folks today would have done if they would have lived 2,000 years ago in that coming of Elijah, and they would have went up to him and say, I want to know where the scripture says you're supposed to baptize. Here's Isaiah 40. You said you was this scripture. I want you to show me right here where you're supposed to baptize people in water. You're off the word, John. Well, praise the Lord. Friends, I'm convinced many of the message folks still don't know what a prophet is. Now, watch this. So John identifies himself as being the friend of the bridegroom. Now let's dissect this verse 29 a little bit. He that hath the bride is the bridegroom. So here we have the spirit of Elijah is the first one in the New Testament that is telling us a relationship change is on the way. And it's between bride and bridegroom. Here the spirit of Elijah is the first one that tells us there's gonna be a bride in the New Testament. Praise God. Now he identifies himself and he said, he that hath the bride is the bridegroom. Eliezer did not go down there to get Rebecca and marry her along the way. And may I say, on the way back on this 450 mile journey, which took them approximately a month on the back of a camel, she did not fall in love with Eliezer and say, listen man, you get married and forget old Isaac. Praise the Lord. Apparently, he was not talking about himself on the way back home. Apparently, he was not talking about how great he was, how wonderful he was, what great things he was, but he so led her into the presence of Isaac and his character and who he was, and he told him story after story after story that when Rebecca saw him the first time, she jumped off of that camel in midair and landed flat on her feet and took off running right after him. She had never seen him in her life, but his character had been 
been so perfectly rejected, oh my, projected by this God called Eliezer, it was love at first sight. Hallelujah. We won't have to spend six months in learning the Lord Jesus. We won't have to sit down and talk to him and hold his hand and introduce ourselves and him introduce himself to us. And we will be so much like him. And the God called Eliezer will project the character and the nature and the love and the mercy of our God so well. We'll jump off this Holy Ghost and meet him in midair. Glory be to God. We will meet him in midair and we will run right up to him. You see, a prophet is so much different than just a pastor. I'm not made to be able to receive the word of God the way a prophet does. I'm not gifted that way. An evangelist, a teacher, is not gifted that way. Mm -mm. They can be inspired and they do receive inspiration. But a prophet is so designed by God to receive a divine projectile of his word in such a way that it will come directly to that prophet of God without human interference. Woo! Glory to God, what a statement. My Lord. So God can project, no matter whether it was Moses or Jeremiah or Ezekiel or whoever it was, and you study your Bible, type it in. And the word of the Lord came to the prophet. And the word of the Lord came to the prophet Jeremiah. And the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah. And the word of the Lord came to the prophet Daniel. What was it? It was a divine projectile of the will of God. And they were able to receive it without human interference. I'm not made that way. A teacher is not made that way. That's why God didn't send us another pastor. He sent us a prophet. Now remember, there was no scripture that said John should baptize. That it didn't mean he didn't have the word on it. John 1.32, and John bare record saying, I saw the spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it bowed upon him, and I knew him not. Ah, uh, here we go. Ah. Oh. Now, if we were checking the prophet John by the written word, we would have walked up his face and said, you're off the word. But he wasn't off the word at all. He had received a rhema word. Now you see, John never even said this up to this time. Who knows? Why? Because we must believe. God don't always give you every proof that's in the pudding. Your faith has got to reach out and believe it. Now notice what had happened, which is the first time that John says this. And I knew him not, but he that sent me to baptize with water the same said unto me, unto whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him the same as he which is baptizes with the Holy Ghost. And yet there is no scripture in the Old Testament that says such a thing. 
How many believes it's scripture that God spoke to him? Oh, you mean you actually believe that? Wow. You mean you believe that a prophet of God could stand there and say something from God and it would be scripture? So the word of the Lord came to John even though that word was not written. You see, God does not allow all of his program to come out at one time. He will dispense it in dispensations and he has prophets there. Now remember, not teachers, not evangelists, prophets. Look at Paul, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse two. For I am jealous over you with godly jealousy. For I have espoused What? Paul, I want scripture to back up that you have the authority above Peter to espouse a bride for Christ. I'm fundamental, Paul. I'm a word believer. You're a knothead. If that's the attitude you got toward a prophet of God, You don't even know which door you come in or out of. Who are we to tell God how to run his program? Would Paul dare take this upon himself above Peter? Peter fished with Jesus. Peter slept with him laying there on a creek bank and Peter ate with him and Peter was an eyewitness. Paul never saw Jesus in his physical body. How would he dare take this upon himself? He didn't. Who was it? The Father. (laughs) The Father! Listen, friends, Paul wrote things that Peter didn't understand. Peter says, our beloved brother Paul writes many things that's hard to be understood. So here was the apostle Peter, but you know what he done? He subjected his teaching, his ministry, his life under who? The prophet of God of the age. Oh, there's the real God called fivefold ministry. They don't stand up there and argue with the prophet. Well, bless God, I'll tell you one thing. Oh my, the prophet has to have scripture. Who in the world are we? Peter, oh my, now he could have sat up and said, I'll tell you one thing now, though. I, I believe that's Paul's opinion. I, I just believe that's a passing comment. That's just Paul's opinion. You know in the New Testament who it was that taught women ought to have long hair? It wasn't Jesus. It wasn't Peter. It wasn't Andrew. It wasn't Jude. It was Paul. And according to the Bible, let every word be established in the mouth of two or three witnesses, but we've only got one witness for long hair. Ah, you want to fight? Touche. You want to fight, devil? Come on, I'll take you on. Praise the Lord. Oh, I love it when you get these Bible theologians in the message and they think they know so much about their Bible and they go beyond the prophet of God. You ain't even come to first page yet when your Bible. So notice.
Notice here, Paul took upon himself, not by his own desire. Well, I'm sent to be the friend of the bride. I'll tell you one thing, everybody come under me. God called him to be thus. And Peter, James, John, Bartholomew, Judas, all the rest of the brethren acknowledged. So any man that's a pastor today, or a missionary, or a teacher, or an evangelist, if he's got a true ministry, he'll come under the message of Malachi 4. Not debate, not fuss, not argue. Well, hallelujah. Right, Brother West? Now notice Paul in this dispensation that is that is now changed from John the Baptist into the gospel dispensation. And he says, I have espoused you to one husband. He didn't say me and Peter, me and John, me and Matthew, me and Mark, me and Luke. But I have. Well, you imagine some of them women in that day. Lord, have mercy. When Paul said, I suffer not a woman to teach. Oh. Now what's amazing is Jesus never taught that. Peter never taught it. James never taught it. Jude never taught it. Come on, Happy Valley. And Paul said, as also saith the law. I'd like for you to find that for me sometime. When you get time where the law actually says that. I think we might ought to start again. Uh, let me rewind. Let me start over from the beginning now. So what is this man doing? He's sent from the Father. The father initiated the bride call under the gospel dispensation. Peter goes out and preaches. John goes out and preaches. Matthew and them, they come along years later and they begin to write down what Jesus did. But God called Paul to be the main one that would carry the wedding ring. The main one that would be the representative by what? How would he do it? By the revelations of the word. Peter was a good man, but even Peter, after Peter had the Holy Ghost, Peter stood there and still was a coward. Come on, whenever James and then come up there, some of the brethren from the James, and they'd come up there among the Gentiles in Galatia, and boy, they was just having a big old time with them Gentiles, and they was eating and fellowshipping with them. Praise God, brothers, y'all are in the light. And when brethren from James come, read the book of James, you'll understand James had a really hard time understanding the bride. That the bride was a Gentile bride. He was a good man, great man. But God never gave that revelation to James. He gave it to Paul. And when them brethren from James come over, Peter kind of got sidelined and said, well. (sighs) So Paul walked right up to him and said, you're acting, you're not acting like a son of God. Paul even wrote about it for the ages to know it and said, I rebuked him to the face. Why? Don't misunderstand me. He was not. Peter was not in the same position that Paul was. 
Now watch this. I am jealous over you with godly jealousy for I have espoused you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtility so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Paul knew there was a span of time between the espousal and the presentation. And a woman could become full of another man's seed during this time. And Paul was afraid that what would happen to Eve would happen to them. And it did. And it has in every age. And so has it in our age. Now, then God sends the friend. He begins to lay out mm, the ketubah. The ketubah. The ketubah is the marriage contract. Now, we, of course, individually respond to Christ's offering. Do you want to be my bride? Do you want to go to heaven with me? Do you want to live with me? Do you, are you willing to receive my covenant? Are you willing to receive my ketubah, my marriage contract? Notice 1 Peter 1.8. Whom he have not seen yet love, and whom though you now see him not yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. So the Jewish marriages, now let me read this to you. The Jewish marriages were legally formalized by a written marriage contract called a New Testament. I mean, a, a ketubah. That stated, now listen what the ketubah contained. It stated the bride price, the promises of the groom, and the rights of the bride. Don't you understand what the New Testament is? It's the marriage contract. So it contains the bride price. Amen. And the promises of the groom and then the rights of the bride. Don't you understand why we believe in laying hands on the sick? It's our rights. Don't you understand why we preach the new birth? It's our rights. Amen. It is our ketubah. And the word ketubah literally means a written instrument, hence the reason for its application to the marriage deed. Now watch what happens is that the ketubah would be introduced early on in the betrothal stage, but the deed, glory to God, the deed was not written until he came into her. When he went into the bride, then it changed from a contract to a title deed. Amen. Glory to God, glory to God, hallelujah. If you ever prayed for me, pray for me now, because I feel like flying out that door. Woo! Hallelujah, this is why it's so important that we don't just start in the message. We don't just go for a few years and get off the way. We not only need a ketubah, we need a deed. We need not only say, oh yes, I will, I will, I will, but we need to accept our Lord and he clears our title deed and says, you are not just my bride, you are my wife. 
The practice of writing a marriage deed still stands among many of the Jews today. In the Old Testament, Israel is viewed as the bride of Yahweh. And the ketubah is the Hebrew scriptures or the Old Testament, specifically the Mosaic law, the covenant. So then when we come to the Lord Jesus, we move into a different ketubah. The new covenant, Brother Andrew so beautifully, my, what a service here Wednesday night, bringing that out in Jeremiah. The new covenant was alluded to in Jeremiah and revealed in the work of the Lord Jesus. Notice this in Hebrews 8, 6. But now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry and how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant which is established upon better ketubah or better promises. You see, the new covenant of the new marriage could not be brought from the old law. It would have produced no better bride. But it had to be a new covenant with new promises, with new rights for the believers. Glory be to God. You see, the old covenant did not tell them, whatever you ask the Father in my name, I will do it. The old ketubah did not tell them in that day, Hallelujah. In that day you shall know I and you and you and me and I and the Father will take up our abode inside of you. That's our ketubah. That's our New Testament law. This is our rights to house deity. For if the first covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second for finding fault with them. He says, behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they continued not in my covenant, and I regarded them not, saith the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law into their mind and I will write, I will write them in their hearts. Friend, this is why you can't talk the bride out of the message. You can't talk the elect out of the word of God. But Brother Donnie, what if they take all of our tapes? Well, I hope they don't come to that. But if they do, it's already written in our hearts. You can't get it, oh hallelujah. You cannot get the word out of the heart and the soul of the elect member of Christ because they are the word. They not only read the ketubah, they and the ketubah have become one. The word is written on their hearts. Write them in their hearts and I will be to them a God. And they shall be to me a people or a bride. Listen at the friend of the bridegroom as he addresses the church in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 2. Ye are our epistle, written in our hearts. You imagine human beings wrote on the hearts of their messenger. Known and read of all men, Lord children, 
For as much as ye are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ, ministered by us. This is the same church in 1 Corinthians that had so many problems. Incest was going on. All types of problems with the gifts. All types of things was going on. But a few years later, come back and find that Corinthian church. They had changed from a bunch of carnal believers unto a church that this is the only place in the New Testament that they are addressed this way. That they were an epistle written on the prophet's heart. And the prophet said that they were actually epistles that he preached. So he'd take from the book of Louis, amen, the book of Nathan, the book of Skip. Don't you understand? Your life is a book manifestly declared to be the very epistle of Christ. Once we enter into the ketubah, we're not just following the message. We're not just hanging around the outskirts. We become that very thing. For as much as you are manifested, declared to be the epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but in fleshly tables of the heart. Now they come to the Kiddushin, the Kiddushin, the betrothal. You see, when they go to, oh, when they go to discussing her rights, his obligations, it must be sealed with what was called and is called today a cup of acceptance. This is the fourth cup out of Exodus in the Passover, which is still celebrated today on their cedar. You see, whenever they become betrothed or engaged, the friend of the bridegroom would pour one cup. This is pre-COVID, so they both drank out of the same cup, I guess. <laughs> Oh, I'll tell you one thing. I'm longing to take communion so bad. Don't you all? After setting this right here, Brother Louie, I, I got to longing for communion so bad, I just sat and cried. It made it more real to me than I've ever seen it in my life, Brother Paul. You see, him drinking, the man taking it first, and he would drink from the cup meaning he would accept his part of the covenant, which was to pay the bride price. Glory to God. He was to pay the mohar, which is what's given to the family. He is to give the matan, which is the special designated gift designed from the bridegroom's heart specifically for the bride. Also, he assumes full responsibility. 
after this cup when he presses this cup to his lips, I promise I will pay the bride price. I promise from this day forward, I will start preparation of the hoopah. The hoopah was a cloth, could have been tent, could have been wool. When a boy baby was born, they planted a certain type of tree. When a girl baby was born, they planted another type of tree. And they would grow and become into pretty good sized trees when they were marriageable age. So servants would, oh Lord, servants would cut down the bride tree. And the bridegroom tree and turn it over to the bridegroom and he would bring them all together and he would stand them up, two legs here, two legs there, the braces across the top and then he would spread the tent, the canvas over the top of it. That's the hoopah. That's right before he takes her into the tent. You see, when the groom takes this and he presses it to his lips, he says, I agree, I accept. I accept. Then when he drinks, he gives it to the bride. And the bride takes the cup and presses it to her lips and she's saying, I accept my responsibilities. From this day forward, I am considered to be married. When they become engaged by every legal aspect, they were married except for sexually knowing each other. She had to act like a married woman He had to act like a married man. You can see how the churches of this day only get so far, but when it comes to the cup, they don't want to sup in that cup. They'll drink of the cup of that old whore, but they won't drink the cup of acceptance. But my brother, sister, if you do not press this cup to your lips, let me tell you what will happen. You will not be accepted in the rapture. Only those who drink of this cup. Don't you understand when he was there in the garden of Gethsemane? Brother Louis praying and he praying and the scripture said he come to his disciples. Then he went back and the Bible said he prayed more earnestly. If the Lord Jesus prayed more earnestly, what about us? Amen. The humanity did not want to go this way. What's he, what's he going to do, Brother Joel? Accept It's one thing to say it in a celebratory manner. It's one thing to say it in front of everybody when the banners are flying and everybody's shouting glory, hallelujah. It's another thing when you're in the garden of Gethsemane and the bitter drugs is in the bottom of the cup and you're looking at that cup and you said, oh God, I didn't realize I was gonna have to go this way. I didn't realize it'd be so hard. Father, is there any other way? Can this cup pass from me? Do you realize what he was looking at? The bride price. The bride price. Father, if it be thy will. Oh, don't sit there and look at me hard. You and I have done the same thing. 
How many? Oh God, do I have to go through this? Oh God, do I have to go? Why, why me, Lord? Why me? I don't understand, Lord. You know what you're doing? You're looking at the cup in the bottom and you're seeing the bitter drugs in the bottom of it. You don't want to drink them, do you? I don't either. I need help. I've had a lot of bitter drugs in my cup of Christianity. It didn't take too long after I got saved. I started drinking the bitterness. I'm still drinking from that cup. And I have to go back to the garden from time and time again. God, give me strength. Give me strength. Lord Jesus, look at it. What's, what's in this, Lord Jesus? What's in this? Oh, new, new Cadillacs and new Mercedes and, and just more financial blessing. Oh, okay, well, if that's all the bride will miss, I, I won't drink it then. It's the bride price. So what does he resort back to? Father, not my will, but thine be done. What, Brother Dave, resorting back to him who started this movement anyway of a bride move? You see, it would be his willingness to pay the bride price to make the hoopah. There would also be the bride's willingness to enter into the marriage and accept the covenant contract. After the terms of the ketubah were accepted, a cup of wine was shared to seal the covenant. From that time forth, the couple was considered to be married. Even though the marriage was not consummated yet, the bride resided with her family until the time of the wedding. You see, what happens now? They enter into their covenant relationship. You see, this is where the angel of the Lord found Mary. And she was with child. Remember, Joseph was thinking of putting her away privately. He was going to divorce her. They'd never even been together as man and wife. They'd never even had the marriage part of this even pronounced but they were entered into the first stage of the ketubah. Don't you understand when Joseph and Mary got engaged? Joseph took the cup, Mary took the cup, and then she winds up being with child. And him looking at it as a natural man, it seemed as if though she broke the ketubah. So he was gonna divorce her in a private way to keep her from being stoned. But the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary, not thy girlfriend, but Mary, thy wife. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. I thought God was his father. Well, if God and the Holy Ghost ain't the same thing, Jesus had two daddies. Woo! Well, glory to God, that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost was his father. 
not an old man in heaven. The Holy Ghost was the eternal. Lord, have mercy, children. Don't you understand that the Father would give the glory to God? The Father would give the bride a gift that would keep her through her entire journey. Don't you understand the Father is the Son? The Son is the Father, and the Father gave you the Holy Ghost to keep you all the way through your journey. Oh, hallelujah. What's the ketubah now? Matthew 26, 28. For this is my blood of the New Testament. That's the son himself. Of course, knew he'd come to redeem the father's will. He's the one acting out the father's divine will. So I want you to notice how many he says this is shed for. This is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed. Read it. Where do we get the idea for everybody? This is the man himself. What's he doing, Harry? The cup of acceptance and symbol. He's fixing to drink it. And that portion of the bride is fixing to take it. So now we're not dealing with whosoever will. We're not dealing with the gospel message for everybody around the world. But we're entering into the ketubah. Shed for many for the remission of sin. But I say unto you. I will not drink henceforth of the fruit, this fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. You see, there were two cups of wine. The first one was at the betrothal when the ketubah is agreed to. And the last one was under the hoopah. Glory be to God. Glory be to God. When he calls her to himself, and then they go in to the celebration, or in our terms, the marriage supper of the Lamb. Luke 22 20, likewise, also the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood which is shed. I pray today that the revelation will move to you, my brothers and sisters, from Matthew 26, 28, being shed for many, that it'll move to the current status of Luke 22, 20, which is shed for you. When you talk about bride, you're talking about me. When you're talking about Pharaoh, you ain't talking about me. When you're talking about Judas, you ain't talking about me. You're talking about May believers, you ain't talking about me. When you're talking about bride, you're talking about me. When you're talking about covenant keepers, you're talking about me. Lord God. You see, the first cup 
is drunk with the acceptance and then sealed. Drinking from the cup signified his willingness and the bride's willingness to enter into the marriage and accept the terms of the covenant contract. His body and his blood, the first cup of the ketubah. The next time, his body, his body, he will look out and he will see maybe millions. He will not just revert back and just say, this is my body, this is, but he'll look and say, this is my body. The body of God. First Corinthians 11, let me close. After the same manner also, he took the cup when he had supped, saying, notice, Jesus didn't drink at all. But he took a sup. We don't know exactly how big a sup was. But he took the one and went. This is the cup in the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as you drink it. In remembrance of me. You see, when we come up here and partake of the communion, it's twofold. We're pointing to our back to our commitment and his commitment to us. And we're also pointing to a future when we're going to sit down at the marriage supper of the Lamb. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do shew the Lord's death till he come. And when we do this, we say our Lord is coming and he's gone away to prepare a place for his bride. While betrothed, preparations for the new land is underway. You see the groom would move from under the covenant contract He would move out from under the place of greeting and go to his father's property. (laughs) He would go to his father's property and he would start building her new home. He would start building her new home in his father's property. Glory be to God. Don't you see? Our blessed Lord Jesus has been gone preparing a place for many thousands of years. I go away to prepare a place for you. Unlike many of those Jewish boys who would have went to prepare their new bride a home. They would have took the back 40 acres or the 60 over on the side or whatever more. They would have started building that home. And there that home would stay. But our husband has the ability to build such a city that is 1,500 miles square and projects into the heavens 1,500 miles high. And because he is God, he has the ability to pick up that home 
and set it back down on a changed earth. Oh, Jesus. And he inspired his prophet when he went to bring that great paramount sermon to call it the future home of the heavenly bridegroom and the earthly bride. Isn't that something? He knew you wouldn't be satisfied living in heaven. He knew you'd miss mama. So Jesus is willing not only come down here to mama to pay for your sins, but he's willing to go yonder and create the paradise of God like it's never been seen before and bring that paradise back down and set it back on a renewed mama. Why? Because now the earth is also his mama, if you can understand it. Because he got his body from the earth. The same place you got yours. His soul, his attribute come from Papa. But his body come from Mama. Your soul, your attribute, your being come from Papa. But your body come from Mama. The mother earth. Read your Bible and see if the Bible does not refer to the earth as her. Let's stand together. I'm getting so drunk. I'm not sure I'm going to be able to stand much longer. Must be the cup of that ketubah. Glory to God. You see, this is part of the marriage covenant. A rich bridegroom might marry a poor girl, but his mohar, the gift to the bride's family, was not based upon the bride's worth, but his father's worth. So you imagine a rich prince and whenever he goes to get together a gift, he don't send his, his best man down to Big Lots and say, man, get what's on sale. Have you got a coupon? I mean, she's a poor bride. She ain't hardly got nothing. Oh, my. He'd send him to the Hellsburg stores. Madison Avenue. Fifth Avenue. Grace, five. And the father would say, son, <laughs> Let her price be determined by how wealthy I am. If Jesus would have paid 50 cents for most of us, he'd have got burnt according to our worth. But what did God, the Spirit, pay? His own life. For the price is determined by the Father's wealth not the bride's wealth. Can't you see why your city, your home, will be over the top, literally? Believe me, friends, you've never seen anything like it in your life. 
But it must be the value of this must be determined by the wealth of the Father. Well, I ain't worthy. I ain't good enough. I ain't worthy. Shut up! Of course you ain't worthy, but he paid the greatest price he could pay for you. He has made us acceptable in the beloved. It is my right to be accepted. I hope this don't stagger you, but it is my right when I get down in the presence of God to pray. It is my right as a son of God that he only hears my voice coming up through the blood of Jesus. And it's Jesus praying, not me. That's my right. My ketubah tells me so. Why would the Father do this? Because the continuance of the Father's family will be ongoing in this future home. You can imagine Jesus saying, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God? Believe also in me. For in my Father's house are many tabernacles or mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. If I go away to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there you may be also. Oh, bride, don't you love him today? Don't you let no preacher, don't you let your mama, don't you let your daddy, don't you let nobody talk you out of your ketubah contract. We'll get into it a little bit more. In our side of this is sanctification to our bridegroom. In our side of this covenant contract is holiness unto our bridegroom. We can't live like the world, act like the world, talk like the world, and be in the ketubah. We are sanctified. As a man and woman stand there to this very day, will thou be sanctified unto me according to the law of God and of Moses? And the woman says, I will. And she drinks her part of the cup of acceptance. That means she's not to flirt. She's not to email other men in flirtatious ways. She's not to text other men, as we'd say. She's not to wink at other men. She's not to reflect any type of interest in other men at all. She's sanctified to him. Praise God. Would you love him? Oh. Brother Brandon preached that one sermon. He said, don't just make you want to go over and sit over in the corner and just cry. And then he said, you just feel that something down in you. You just want to reach down in you and pull it out and hug it. <laughs> Praise God. Be faithful, friends. Be faithful. The second cup is right before us. While this world, all hell is fixing to break loose of the vials and the judgments of God, your second cup awaits you. Praise God. Lord Jesus, 
I wish we could go now. Forget lunch. Forget what we got planned this evening. Forget work tomorrow, school. I just wish we could come home. Oh, Lord God, help me. Keep me true, Jesus. Keep me true. You didn't promise this way it'd be easy, but you promised you'd be with us. I have to be honest, there's many times my cup has been difficult. The cup of these saints has been difficult. But nothing compared to yours. But give me strength, Lord Jesus. Oh, hallelujah. As you were willing to say, nevertheless, Father, not my will. Oh, at the table there that night when you instituted the communion, Judas sat there and ate the sop. He sat there and partook of a certain element of this, but we know part of this was reserved till after he left. Then after he left, the intimate part of communion came into view. Praise God. Oh, Jesus, help us. Help us through the hard times, the difficult times. We pressed our lips to this cup. Many of us have accepted you. We've heard the bride call. But there's a span of time between the betrothal and the presentation. We know actually the friend of the bridegroom would stand and be responsible for the virtues of that bride. He would forerun the bridegroom coming to get the bride because the bride didn't know when it was. So the friend of the bridegroom was given a message and he would start running toward the bride's house telling her to get ready. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Oh, may the Holy Ghost anoint us, Father, telling the bride, lay aside your hard feelings, lay aside your grievances, lay aside your besetting sins. Get ready. And that friend of the bridegroom would say these words, Behold, the bridegroom cometh. Behold, the bridegroom cometh. Then the bride would jump up and get ready. Oh, Jesus, may we hear your voice, Father, through the voice of many waters. And many would raise your hand to God to say, Lord, I want to be ready with all my heart, Jesus. Lord, children, if you need strength today to bear your cup, maybe you're bearing part of it and you're at the bitter dregs as the Old Testament calls it. You're going through some bitter, difficult times. He understands that. Oh, it's so easy when we're all sitting at the table there and my, we're fellowshipping together and we, we take of that cup of wine. Boy, when that thing comes to living out that cup, it can be so difficult. May God strengthen us. Lord Jesus, I pray for your children today. Lord, not only those visible, but those that will stream this service. 
those in France, those in South Africa, those in Newfoundland, those in Israel, those in Europe, in Russia, wherever they are, different parts of the world. I pray they've heard more than just the voice of some ignorant Kentucky man. I pray they've heard the bridegroom's call. Hallelujah. The Holy Spirit of God as he is the agent, the invisible agent calling to our hearts. Oh, Jesus, we worship you today, Father. Maybe some have pressed their lips to that cup, but they've become cold and indifferent. They've broken their sanctification, their honor, their trust. Help them today, Lord. Oh, Jesus, we worship you, Lord. Maybe some entered into the initial stages of it, but they have not received the Father's gift back to the daughter. We know that was the dowry. Father, I pray, may we realize, hallelujah, it is the Father's portion back to us to seal our souls to the day of redemption. Thank you, Father. Give us these things we need today. Blessed God. We worship you, Jesus. Can we just worship him together, saints? Hey, you got something on your heart? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, Jesus. We worship you, blessed God. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. We stand in your presence today in this great awe. Who are we that the mighty God would call us to himself? That you would be willing to pay the bride price for us. Then we, Lord, make us willing that we will be willing as well to bear the shame and the reproach of the bridegroom. May we be willing to be laughed at and ridiculed. That's part of our price of being identified. Lord, as that little girl stood there day in, day out, week in, week out, waiting until finally she received the notification to be prepared that her husband was coming from Chicago. She'd received a letter, a word from her husband. Hallelujah. All the rest of them couldn't see it. They couldn't read it. They couldn't make it out. But she had received a word from her husband. Thank you, Lord. So he told her to get her wedding dress on. So she steps out front. There she waits. Her cousins come by. They begin to laugh and ridicule and make fun of her. She stands there with her little bouquet in her hands while they laugh, criticize. Almost at the setting of the sun, hardly any rays of light left. It seems she's been deceived. It seems she'd been betrayed. But all of a sudden, in the distance, she heard a shout and a voice of the archangel and the trump of God. Hallelujah. 
Here was the sound of the wheels of the buckboard. The camel train was coming together. Praise God. They stood there and laughed and ridiculed. And the bridegroom pulled right up by the door, stepped off of that buckboard. Hallelujah. Changed dimensions and reached down and condescended and picked her up, lifted her up into a higher dimension. Glory be to God. And he said, I've had a man here posted. He's been telling me what you've doing, what you've been doing and the reproach you've been under. Well done, my wife. Come and enter into the joys that's prepared for you before the foundation of the world. Glory be to God. He puts her in the buckboard. Glory to God. He picks up the reins. There she goes. There stands her cousins, tribulation bound. Tears on their eyes. Oh, I wish I would have listened. I wish I would have been more intent. I wish I'd have went to church more often. But now it's too late. They've been left behind while her and her bridegroom sail away and say, Fare ye well, fare ye well. Praise God. Oh, blessed be the Lord God Almighty. We worship you, Lord God, Adonai. Great, mighty Elohim, who had this great plan in your being before the foundation of the world. And nothing will stop you. May I go ahead and bring it to bride form, Lord? Nothing will stop us. We are unstoppable. Glory be to God for one day the saints of God will arise out of these graves and shall be changed in a moment in a twinkling of an eye. Oh, Jesus. Hey, you better sing before I go into another language that they don't understand what I'm saying. Oh, I feel His great presence. Oh, Hallelujah. I wish somebody would help me worship the great king. We've been called under the tent, the canopy of his great covenant. Hallelujah, hallelujah. The ketubah has been written to us. And we said, I will go. Jesus, we took the cup and pressed it to our lips, our cup of acceptance. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And now we're saying what? Oh, come, sweet Jesus, take me from this place. I really don't belong here now. I want to see your face. Come, sweet Jesus. Come, take me 
Come, Lord Jesus. Saturate my soul. Oh, Jesus. Saturate my soul. Let the river flow. Let the north wind blow, lover of my soul. Saturate my soul. Let the river flow. Let the north wind blow, lover of my soul. Awake, north wind. Come, oh south. Blow upon my garden that the spices may flow out. Awake north wind and come all south. Blow upon my garden that the spices may blow out. Oh, saturate my soul. Let the river flow. Let the north wind blow, lover of my soul.
flowers appear on the Lord. earth again. The time of singing and the bride has come. The time of singing and the time of the bride is come. The time of the bride is come. our vessels full of oil within our lamps trimmed and burning our lives consecrated Father God so in a moment we can be changed by the power of God hallelujah hallelujah lover of my soul oh saturate my soul let the river flow let the north wind blow, lover of my soul. Oh, saturate my soul. Lord, let your river flow. Let the north wind blow, lover of my soul. Oh, hallelujah. The brother has sent me that song many, many months ago. Brother Randy Gissonetter, he's crossed over into that great land where the breeze is blowing across through the bluegrass. Well, he hasn't been there that long, really. But it's like it's no time zone anymore. Young man already met the prophet of God, already met the saints of God, no doubt done met many of the Happy Valley saints that have fellowshiped here within life. What are we waiting for? That same wind, a sweep, as the prophet called it. It'll come and sweep over the bride. Think of it, missing people. They can't find you anymore, but you're getting together with the rest of the group to come up missing on the earth. Hallelujah. When all of a sudden a sweep will come over you, and you'll see your loved ones standing in the room and you know it won't be long. Well, there's brother so-and-so, there's brother Seward, there's brother Dark. You know it won't be long. We're gonna be changed. Praise God. What are we doing now? We're just watering the camels. 
Praise God. That same Holy Spirit that's right here this morning one day will come down to here. My, wouldn't it be awesome if we'd be standing here Sunday after the preaching of the word and the spirit of rapture just sweep right to here and all of a sudden we're all just gone in a moment and that's right Oh, hallelujah. Oh, brother, look, come take service. I feel another fire to preach. <laughs> hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. Brother Louie wants to do the camel train song right again. Thank you, Lord. Oh, did you enjoy that this morning? Yeah. Hallelujah. Yeah. Honest to goodness, if it gets much better, I don't know how I stand it. I, I just don't. Let's sing a little bit of that before we leave. Brother Donnie, God bless your heart, buddy. That was wonderful. Was a day in early springtime by an ancient wayside well. Eliezer paused to rest his camel train. Oh, yes, he did. He had found the bride for Isaac. He found the bride. Ere the evening shadows fell, for his weary journey had not been in vain so he took the fair rebecca dressed in jewels rich and rare quickly to her waiting bridegroom far away i love this part where rebecca loved her isaac and he loved Rebecca Fair, oh, it must have been a happy wedding day. Oh, get ready, the evening shadows fall. Don't you hear the alleys
place like this but I'm talking about right here it's been so good may the Lord bless you remember service here Wednesday night Lord willing we'll be right back here again to worship the King of Kings and Lord our Isaac amen are you glad you've heard the Eliezer call does it mean more to you than anything in this world give the Lord a good hand clap of praise you're dismissed in the name of the Lord God bless you.